Fresh Art International presents conversations about creativity in the 21st century. Good morning. This is Fresh Art International, and I'm Kathy Bird. Today, we're live streaming from Jolt Radio in Miami, Florida. Our show today is about contemporary art at the intersection of nature and culture. You'll hear from New York-based artist Mary Mattingly about a project she created in Havana, Cuba. You'll also hear the voices of Miami-based artists who play different roles in our community, Kim Yantes, Nelly Bonilla, Oscar Luna, Tom Wheeler-Castillo, and Emily Milgram. These Miami culture makers will be talking about the parts they play in the coming exhibition and events that will celebrate Earth Day 2017 at the Deering Estate in South Miami. You could say that art created in response to a particular place or space, such as the Deering Estate, is a site-sensitive or site-specific project. The environment and the history of a site, whether it's a city, a wilderness, or a private estate, inspires the work. Important to note that the projects we'll introduce in this show involve found, recycled, and reused materials, as well as new technologies. New York-based artist Mary Mattingly is a great example. I met Mary in Havana, Cuba, during opening days of the 2015 Havana Biennial. Let's listen to this podcast episode about living environments that Mary created. She worked with locals to build two geodesic domes, one inside a museum and another in a city park. I'm Kathy Bird, and this is Fresh Talk with artist Mary Mattingly. Our conversation begins in Cuba during the first days of the Havana Biennial. She's here because of a new partnership between the Bronx Museum of the Arts and the National Museum of Fine Arts Havana. Her residency is part of Wild Noise, the first in a series of exhibition exchanges between the two cities. During her time in Cuba, she created two spheric ecosystems with local partners. The domes are 10 feet in diameter. One is perched in a park and the other inside a museum. It's been a long two months, but... Tell me about it. It's so beautiful and exciting. I love it. Thanks. Well, there are two. There's one in Parque Central, and then there's one inside of the museum, and they sort of talk to each other in a way where um, they look the same from the outside, but inside the living systems are supposed to supplement each other. It's like a year in the planning, but for the last two months approximately, I've been here working with builders and architects and students and teachers to make it come to life. Mattingly is deeply interested in materials with past lives. She gathered components for the two spheres from all over Havana and New York City. I have felt it's very important to repurpose stuff from the U.S. Army, so some of the fabric that's covering the structure and the tubing is from surplus army stock, and I think translating it into something that's about interdependency. It changed a lot being here for so long. I was really influenced by songbirds and things I never would have thought. Pull, the title of her project, represents the tensions tied to reopening relationships between Cuba and the U.S. And there's a literal meaning, too. 
That's how the domes get around. We've been moving them from place to place with whoever wants to volunteer. We have been literally dragging them to the park and then here, and we don't know where next. The two spheres are constructed as habitats for local flora and fauna. You walk up a set of stairs that leads you to this platform that looks like floating barrels are underneath of it. And then there's a sphere. You walk into the sphere, it's made with aluminum drywall studs and it's lit underneath. And then there are lots of food plants growing inside and there are many tubes that are forcing the water into the next planter. There are fish, songbirds, and butterflies, all kind of living off of the things that are inside. And how does this fit with your philosophy about art and the ecology? The work that I usually do is about ecosystems, either through documenting them or through making them and then trying these experiments. So the experiment here is putting these in public spaces and seeing what happens. Other times I've really tried to inhabit them myself. Thinking about recontextualizing a geodesic dome or making something that combines something that looks futuristic with some things that remind us of the past. Ever since we met, I've been thinking about this project. I call Mary Mattingly to learn more. Remember those songbirds that she said changed everything? While I was in Cuba, I lived in Vedado in this apartment. And in the shared space in the center of the apartment, there were you know, lots of other apartment units. And a few of them, um, people were keeping songbirds. And for a while, I didn't know that they were songbirds. And I thought... One in particular was this boy who kept crying for his mom from about 4 to 5 p.m. every day. I was pretty surprised when a friend came over and said, oh, that's actually a songbird that you're hearing. That's not a little boy. So all of a sudden I realized that, oh, this is great. Everybody in the apartment complex knows this songbird. And what a sweet relationship. It just really made an impact on the work. It made an impact on Paul. We ended up including songbirds in the sculpture, and I think it transformed it. That's an amazing discovery to make. I was thinking about the work that I've made up to this point in retrospect, and it occurred to me that a lot of the work that I've been making has to do with a frustration or an anger about something, whether it's housing, whether it's food, something like this. But Right alongside that comes the deep love that you have to feel for something to even feel anger for that thing. So I think that's something that I was finally able to really understand having this time in a place in Havana where so much of the experience for me ended up uh, revolving around love, around love of non-human creatures, um, non-human things, even the plants, even, you know, strangers. Well, I'm thinking about the remarkable nature of what you just said, having read and heard you described as an apocalyptic artist. That sounds like sort of a turning point, this Cuba experience. I I think in so many ways, I think that there are things that I'm still discovering about um, the experience there. And, you know, not too long ago, I was able to go with the Bronx Museum and the State Department to the Philippines. And I think that both 
of these experiences have made me acutely aware of the U.S.'s impact around the world in um, a not-so-positive way, you could say, to put it mildly. So that's, I think, changed my perspective on life and on, on my responsibility as a United States citizen and what I see happening around me and what I have ignored more than I like to admit. I'm at a point where there, I'm feeling a love for the country and an anger about it. So it, it definitely has been something that I've brought home with me. Cuba's Green Revolution was another big takeaway. One of the highlights for me was being able to learn about the organic farming in Cuba. That's something that I definitely wanted to show and pull and to highlight was this organic type of farming on a different, on a much smaller scale inside of this sculpture. The gardens are just one element of the ecosystems within the domes. People could go inside of them and see them working to one extent or another. So the birds were able to eat some of the food that we were growing, but we also supplied them with food from outside the sculpture. Um, we collected rainwater in the sculpture that was in Parque Central, and then um, we had some butterflies and some chickens that were actually donated to the project soon after it opens. People really loved the chickens, I think, more than anything in the sculpture. What happened to the domes? One of them is coming back to the United States and it's going to go to the Bronx Museum and hopefully be installed outdoors. Um, the other one is, in my understanding, it's going to the U.S. Embassy that's in Cuba. So I think that they will, they'll both be on sort of more permanent display in spaces that are, in one case, prominently political, in the other case, prominently art-centric. Good morning. This is Fresh Art International. You were just listening to a conversation I recorded with artist Mary Mattingly about these two amazing geodesic dome environments she created in Havana, Cuba. And today we're talking about art at the intersection of nature and culture and where that intersects with technology. The historic Deering Estate in Miami sits at this place for the Spring Contemporary, the art exhibition and events that will be happening this weekend on Earth Day 2017. My first guest is Kim Yantis. Good morning. Good morning. I'm really happy to have you here with me today. I want to give an introduction to who you are. I introduced you as an artist earlier because you are a working artist, but you're also the cultural arts curator for the Deering Estate, and that's a huge job. I could tell from looking, that's 450 acres out there. Yes, and a, a full season of uh, visual, literary, and performing art, as well as an artist-in-residence program. And let's begin by just describing the Deering Estate, this site, that the Deering family has this huge legacy in Miami, two sites in particular. The one I know the best is James Deering's estate, Vizcaya, and I've done a lot of recording there. And just to as a preview of what's to come, I visited the Deering estate, uh, the brothers' estate, that for the first time last week. So let's talk about what the Deering estate is and where it came from. Okay. Um, uh, the uh, Deering Estate, uh, where I'm located, is in the Palmetto Bay neighborhood. It's a 450-acre 
uh, nature preserve with uh, five buildings on the National Register of Historic Places, uh, two main buildings being the Stonehouse and Richmond Cottage. But uh, Charles Deering came to this site uh, in 1916 and continued to build it out. Um, and he was very advanced for his time, made it a nature preserve, brought in scientists to do research projects, brought in living contemporary artists to work there, and also did an extensive collection of, of, of artworks, books, and, uh, you know, many other cultural resources. So it's, it's really a great resource uh, in far south Miami. I think it's amazing the two brothers brought that much uh, culture energy, cultural energy. Uh, they were industrialists, but they also were so interested and passionate, really, about art and surrounded themselves with it. So I think it's really very wonderful that today Miami-Dade County in both cases is is dedicating funds and people energies to to sustain that legacy. Yeah, I, it is it is really quite extraordinary and quite extraordinary to be a part of because it has so many aspects that reaches from you know uh, studying 10,000 years of um, uh, man's history on the site uh, to over 100,000 years of geologic history up to these contemporary interactions with artists and scientists. And every year you organize the Spring Contemporary. Yes. Uh, it is now, uh, next season will be our 10th year of running a larger scale contemporary exhibition at the Deering Estate. And we've only been open for about 11 years uh, to the public uh, since uh, damage occurred from Hurricane Andrew. So it's a, we're a young, a young space and always expanding our, our programs to just uh, improve, improve, and really engage the community in, in our work. So let's talk a little bit about what will happen this year. We have in, both indoor and outdoor exhibitions with about uh, 25 uh, exhibiting artists uh, for visual and uh, some performing art. Uh, there's also a symposium that uh, is called Creative Technologies, um, the Arts of Resilience in Miami, uh, with a partnership through FIU. So we'll have um, um, Obsolete Media, Kevin, ba um, Kevin Arrow, and uh, Baron Shearer, uh, Willie Avendano, and a moderator, um, Danny Washington, that'll come in and, and really have a dialogue about um, science meets the arts at the Deering Estate right before the exhibit opening. Um, just very exciting things. Also, um, a collaboration with the Playwright Development Program in Miami-Dade County, Department of Cultural Affairs, uh, and University of Miami Theater Department, where we're taking um, uh, plays out of traditional um, settings, placing them within the Deering Estate, and also doing technological um, mapping of the site and performances. The playwrights... I think it's interesting. We had these playwrights on the show when we had a, an, a show about the Radio Fest at the Wolfsonian. And these same playwrights are involved in these avant-garde or unusual plays. They've picked characters um, that the playwrights really related to. Uh, the spaces cued the characters. Uh, research cued um, the development of the characters. So one of the characters is an indigenous guide. Uh, there is a bride because uh, the Deering Estate, uh, we've always kind of made fun of it, but it's it's a wonderful wedding destination. So I've had a lot of artists catch on to the fact that we can we can explore what it's like to be a bride at the Deering Estate. 
Um, there's also um, a child character um, uh, from the era of the Seminole Wars uh, who is displaced. So those are just some examples um, of, uh, of characters that have developed. And of course, because there's a, a ballroom, a fabulous ballroom in the stone house, um, there's a bit of a, a um, chess game that occurs with guests in the space. That sounds pretty exciting. Yeah. And this is all this Saturday afternoon and evening, correct? Yes, yes. Our, our symposium will run from 2 to 4 at the Visitor Center Theater, and then the exhibition is open from 3.30 to 10 p.m., uh, Saturday, April 22nd, uh, free and open to the public. Maybe uh, looking back at the installations, the kind of interventions that artists are doing, I know we have four of the artists on our show today. Mm -hmm. What's maybe one of the unusual experiences that you think people might uh, encounter with the contemporary art intervention at the estate this weekend? Well, uh, some of the most interesting things for us are to have this uh, this other layer of presenting technology. It's it's a little further from what we have done in the past. Um, uh, Ian Honoré has a piece where he's uh, taking data from a scientist who we studied with and has created a video, um, basically a video game where you can click on the interactive map and watch Miami sinking into the sea. Uh, so that's uh, that's one of a, a very unique piece that he's paired with a collection item, uh, one of our historic maps at the Deering Estate. Um, each room is a bit of a different experience. Uh, we have two artists that are focused on the study of archaeology and their contemporary practice. Um, uh, two artists that, well, actually three artists that are, are specifically addressing uh, sea level rise uh, using data from scientists and also visual cues uh, to create their artistic practice. And then there is, um, there are about three artists who've used uh, digital imagery and patterns in nature uh, to produce their artwork. And I know some of the former residents that you, you also direct and manage the residency program for the Deering Estate. And some of uh, current residents are those participating in the exhibition this year. Yes, yeah. For example, we have uh, Frida Baranek from our residency. She's an, uh, a re-emerging artist from Brazil, uh, and she's making a piece um, that's uh, that's based on viewshed, so inter interactive um, re relating to the view and how we see the study of our vision and, and our experience of a site. Uh, we have John William Bailey, who's a practice uh, on... Uh, painting with layers and layers of civilization and archaeological maps uh, uh, creates a really uh, unique process. Uh, he had has a work called um, I in Miami based on uh, layers of historic peoples all the way up to contemporary peoples, uh, and that's on view in the Richmond Cottage. And I'm uh, curious, there are two current residents that I got to meet the other day and uh, Valerie Leblanc and Danielle Dugas. They're here from Canada, your first international residence, Exactly, correct? exactly, um, uh, and short-term as well. So the experience of um, immersing artists, um, not in our usual pattern, but in a one-month interaction, and they're doing um, uh, basically green screen style filming, but the figure is, uh, is replaced in their films um, by imagery and sound 
um, of, of natural elements. So they've been very interesting to work with, and they use a lot of uh, scientific background to determine their sites and, and the video pieces that they'll eventually produce. And I think it's interesting, they're going to be recording sound, and t our, two of our other guests this morning are collecting sounds, too. They were talking about using hydrophones to record underwater. We're going to be talking about that with Tom and Emily later today, and it's just interesting how we're drawn at this intersection of culture and nature mm -hmm. at the edge of the water to see what other sounds we can capture. And uh, I know we were sitting here before we started the show, and Tom was saying how nice and quiet it is in here. And I know uh, we're, we're going for that. We're on the radio. We don't want the ambient sounds. Mm. But the challenges for these artists, and we'll be talking about that more with Tom and Emily, of capturing sound when there's so many extra ambient sounds in a world full of technology. I also liked hearing about Aria and Danielle talking about the relationship of where they're based at the Bay of Fundy in Canada and the ecosystems of the east coast of Florida. It's a really unique experience to have uh, these multidisciplinary artists. Um, they, um, they find their way and meet up with uh, local scientists. They often have many more connections than even the academics in, uh, in the area because they just find their way into each field, uh, make friends, make uh, relationships, and, and many of these uh, projects will be ongoing. Right. They told me they were going to be recording with some scientists last week. Yeah, exactly. So that's very cool. Well, the next uh, people we're going to hear from are actually from a field recording I made when I visited the Deering Estate last week uh, for two artists that weren't able to come to the studio. And I thought, you know, I'll just go and record on site and experience the installation process. I think that'll be fun. So I met Oscar Luna and Nelly Bonilla for the first time, and they were constructing a project that is using materials that they love the best, plastic. And you might remember that they did a pavilion for the Maker Fair last year out of PVC pipe, and they've also done some amazing things with plastic straws. Let's listen to what they're doing for Platform 450 and Spring Contemporary. This morning we're on the Deering Estate, South Miami, in this gorgeous space outdoors that's been created by Oscar Luna and Nelly Bonilla, two artists based in Miami. And we're recording beneath a gentle rain. You may occasionally hear a lawnmower, but that's just part of the environment here. It's a huge estate, and there's this intersection of nature and culture. We're standing right next to a jungle and a sculptured lawn. So the juxtapositions here are notable. Oscar and Nelly met in high school at the Design and Architecture Senior High School in Miami. They got degrees at Pratt in New York in architecture for Nelly and filmmaking for Oscar. And then you came together in 2014 to right. launch this Home 11. Yeah. Mm. Tell me what Home 11 is. What does it stand for? 
home because you're, since there's interactive installations, you're almost entering our space. So it's our ideology when you're walking into that space. And 11, in the way that we see it is like a design could be 10, but it could always go a little bit more. So an 11, you know, and to, and to just see life that way. You can oh, always so how do you rate it between bit. one and 10? Right. Oh, I rate it 11. Yeah. Right, right. So it's even okay. surpassed that. I mean, it's a little cocky, but I guess, you know, that's the idea. So hopefully someday it'd be... Right more than what right. you're expecting. Pushing you know, past, pushing, pushing past, past yeah. what you've already done exactly. each, time. Right. each time. And I think the, the home part also, a lot with our projects have to do with empathy. We like to test or see how people empathize with whatever we're dealing with, the topic at hand. Um, with this project in particular was with uh, wildlife in the ocean. I'm curious what you're after here with Tangled. It's mm created of plastic bags that have been deconstructed and made almost like a yarn mm -hmm. to weave back together and create a scrim. Yeah, yeah. And then a lyric interlude through the trees that ends trailing off on the grass. You guys could keep going. This could be an infinite intervention. Where it's positioned, it's right next to the ocean, so it's trying to evoke that that idea that these things were can be found in, in the right. ocean and that the animals get tangled within this right. and that we ourselves are producing all this plastic and that it's winding up in the ocean right. and well that's why the piece is called tangled because it's going to become part of our future and like we should be addressing this the palette for this project is blues greens browns the ocean colors they look so ethereal from far away um, so we wanted to make it look as, I don't know, how would you say it? Like as inviting, inviting as, possible, as possible, but once you're in the space to be conscious of what yeah. we're trying to say here. What draws you to the materials that you use? I've seen you work with plastic bags, straws, PVC. It's plastic. Plastic is mostly it, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, we like to take everyday materials and then transform them into something that is like a beautiful grand size installation and the quantity of it so to do it small and then make it and into they're cheap this. you can find them anywhere um. what happens to the materials when you're done because here you've got something you don't want to cast this right. net into the sea because it looks like you could be fishing that's, with this that's part of the project every time that we always have to think okay well what are we going to do with this material after the fact so with these bags, we're actually going to recycle it back to like local supermarkets. You can always find it online, like right. local places that recycle plastics and you just bundle it up, take it, and then that gets sorted out to a, another distribution plant. So with this, it definitely all get uh, recycled. And then with our other projects, we either save some of it for, yeah. you know, displaying you somewhere else or in another location, yeah. or it gets recycled completely. Right. So it's all green. What are your aspirations for Home 11? We were talking before and you said you didn't really want to make monuments per se, that you want it to be intimate. And I think that's connected with the idea that you call yourself Home 11, that you're creating environments that people feel drawn to experience. We like the idea of like making a connection with people. We want to make installations that are not common. In the future, we want to do things that are just out on the street. We're trying to reach the people that normally don't get art encountered on their day-to-day -day life. they don't expect it. We want to challenge uh, the public, um, not only to learn from them, but also to broaden their horizons and 
see what the world could offer them. Good morning. This is Kathy Bird, and you're listening to Fresh Art International on Jolt Radio. Today we're talking about art at the intersection of technology and culture, nature, and history at the Deering Estate in Miami, Florida. And you were just listening to Oscar Luna and Nellie Bonilla talking about their installation that's at the Deering Estate right now. Our next guests are Emily Milgram and Tom Wheeler-Castillo, also Miami-based, and they're here to talk about the sound guide they created for the Spring Contemporary. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm so happy you're here with me today. Great. Me too. And before we talk about what you're doing for the Deering Estate right now, I really want to share with our listeners your larger collaboration. And I'll say what I've learned from what you've shared with me so far is that the title of your work is Archival Feedback. And your intention is to engage in very various critical dialogues with what's going on today. And your center, the center of your work is Miami? Um, I think our, cent- our center is the landscape. So wherever landscape we find ourselves, it's one for investigation. And you approach the environment as your studio, which is, I have so much respect and love for that <laughs> myself because I love field recording. I don't have all the equipment you have, I have a feeling. You don't need that much equipment uh, to no, do it. You That's don't. what's great about it. I know. Everywhere yeah. I go when I'm creating uh, recording for podcast episodes, I record. I even recorded the wind in the installation of Nellie's and Oscar's piece. It didn't, you couldn't really, it just sounded like wind in the trees, but that's good actually. Um, but this using our ears and technology to guide us in our work, I think it's just pretty exciting. And I think the world is starting to really recognize that there's so much interest in sound as a medium, yeah. right? Isn't yeah. it just a, great to have people finally kind of start getting what you do <laughs> and appreciating it? I, yeah, I don't think we really think of sound as a medium um, because it's not something we can really hold unless you're holding technology. But um, yeah, it's the value yeah. of it and the value of archiving sound. I tell people for myself, I'm creating an archive of contemporary art history. I like that, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the collection. Right? Yeah. An oral history. They used to collect oral history all the time. They just didn't save it in a digital file. Right. They transcribed it into a book or something. Right. Or have old cassette tapes or reel-to-reel or something. But the idea that we have this ability to save it and share it virtually is just so wonderful. Revisit over and over and over again. One of your big projects is called the audiograph, or you have a series of audiographs. And I'd love to describe for our listeners what, what that means. What, what is it? What's an audiograph? Um, well, the project came out of reacting to the assignment that we were given being curated into Memory Lab, an exhibition at History Miami. It's uh, artists who were thinking about the archive. So we, used, we took the opportunity to create three documents that we're thinking about this project. So one was nostalgia, revisiting a place that meant something to us, um, using the archive itself to in- create a body, uh, a, a record, and also um, reacting to the archive. What was the archive missing? 
So all th- we did three audiographs. So it was a name that we sort of came up with trying to describe exactly what it was in order to talk more about it. So it's in a very recognizable format. It's on a disc, except instead of vinyl, it's polycarbonate, a material that can survive humidity and heat. I was reading it's a 10-inch mm-hmm. it's a 10-inch polycarbonate that was cut directly with a 1930s era lathe cutter um, by Rat Bastard. A lot of people oh, know yes. him. A yeah. lot of people know that name. Know him for that. Mm-hmm. So, so these were created exclusively as one-off pieces for the exhibition. And was I reading they're, they're thick? They're, they're a little bit thicker than a vinyl record or than a standard like 140, 150 gram vinyl record, but probably, you know, a little bit closer to like 180 gram if you were to, you know, judge the thickness. Okay. And each side is different though. You have one side that's audio. Mm-hmm. And the other side is pictorial? or So the assignment or the, the idea, the project um, sets us, propels us in a direction, and then we use sound to investigate it. Uh, and then once the sound is, as, as a visual artist, I always need inspiration. So the project fuels in me a desire to capture this visually. So uh, the, the graphs were a really great way to represent both sides. Um, and revisiting the format too, like not just thinking about visual art and sound as a cover, but on as the disc as a surface itself. So one side, the re- sound was recorded, cut the way Emily described, and the other side had a visual component reacting to our experience of doing the field work. Okay, well let's let's talk about one a case study. Okay, <laughs> the Star Factory is one that mm-hmm. you shared with me, and I'm excited to share a fragment of that fragment. <laughs> uh, and I love that it remembers the Miami Museum of Science and Space Transit Planetarium. Yes. And we're all kind of maybe feeling a little nostalgic about the planetarium because there's going to be a new planetarium in like over... a couple weeks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it opens in early May, and this nostalgia you might feel for going in think of all the films that have planetarians in them mm-hmm. rebel without a cause yeah. yeah just the uh the nostalgia of taking someone to a planetarium that's so old school and now we're going to have this new school so mm-hmm. this one i really wanted to hear when i saw you were sharing it because i have that memory of the planetarium that's going to be transformed in this new space the frost science museum will be opening with the planetarium in just a few weeks. So tell us what we'd see. Well, I think first a little background is the sort of the cultural um, waves that are happening when you take students, kids into these spaces and how it affects them, um, how, how it nurtures them, how it impacts them. And this planetarium, this science museum, was a place I went to maybe three or four field trips as a, as a student here in Miami-Dade County. And... Um, what it fed, what it, um, it, it, you know, nurtured in me. And I, the same goes with Emily. So revisiting this place and um, wanting to communicate something about that space through sound is what really fueled that. And we couldn't have done it without the help of Kevin Arrow, who works with the museum in, uh, in the old space and in the new space. And he gave us access to record using a variety of different types of microphones um, Emily might want to talk a little bit more about. Yeah, the mics. Um, 
Kevin Kevin was able to bring us into the old planetarium space and just around the outside of the museum, and we used um, electromagnetic uh, microphones to pick up electromagnetic frequencies in and outside the building. So it's cool. We essentially recorded the sounds, the the virtually imperceptible sounds that were being emitted by the gear in the old planetarium, mm-hmm. which is really cool. And you know, it sounds all sci-fi because it's all of just those electromagnetic frequencies. Um, and then um, we also did some really cool room recordings. As you know, like in the planetarium, there's a ton of reverb. You know, you talk and it echoes like crazy. So we were able to just sort of walk around and record the walking and the running and all those cool sounds that naturally occur inside the space um, and combine those with some archival sounds uh, of uh, the star hustler, Jack Horkheimer. Um, he would do his shows from this place, Space Transit Planetarium. So there's like little bits of that all combined. So it's it's a really like a multi-sensory experience of our memory of the planetarium, experience of the planetarium, um, and an archive of the planetarium. All right. So let's hear what Star Factory sounds like. Call our cosmic hotline 24 hours a day at 854-2222. That is such a cool piece. I really love listening to it. And it made me, both of these kind of made me think of mystery science theater. <laughs> I like the kind of approach you'd have to introducing some really out there film. <laughs> so I love that. The other one I wanted to share with our listeners is this one that you titled Greater Miami 1934. Yeah. And you describe it as a map, playing a map through an electronic instrument. And I, I would love an interpretation of that description. Uh, yeah, with this one, uh, there was a map that uh, we found in the archives of uh, History Miami, and it's a map of uh, Greater Miami in 1934. Um, and it was a, a fairly large scale, and we utilized um, an application called Phono Paper, which essentially reads uh, lines, textures, uh, imagery uh, through it and transforms it into sound. So we read the map. Uh, traversing it in a certain direction. Uh, we, usually go, we usually go south to north uh, when we do these sort of map-based things. Um, so we, we followed that same pattern and recorded the sounds that came out of it. So 
It sounds really crazy. And th this was one moment where I spent a lot of time, or no, not one moment, but various moments, looking and digging through the History of Miami archive to find the map. So, um, you know, I was, d I was digging through folders and folders of images, just trying to find one. And the city maps were, you know, the grid of the original city really was inspirational. So the visual component of the disc is actually a, a collage of maps dating back to 17-something all the way to 1990s Miami um, for the visual component, just mm -hmm. thinking about how we have mapped these spaces, how the, the, the map and the grid of the city is a big part of the identity of this place, the structure. And 1934 was... It was the best map. The best, <laughs> the map. best map. The biggest with the most lines. It had oh, amazing okay. lines. It was it had this, you know, grid quality to it, which is very modern. You know, this idea of city grid, mm -hmm. the skyscraper all comes from right. this, uh, this really important uh, artist motif, the grid. All right. Well, let's hear what the grid of a city sounds like in an audio file. Yeah. Okay, I think I heard Biscayne Boulevard. What do you What do you think? Thirty Sixth Avenue. There, there's definitely a Biscayne Bay segment of the recording where you can tell that it it is just because of the density of the the lines on the map. Wow. So uh. I was like, I think it went right by the studio, John. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure that the the grid of the city that we did this is including this neighborhood. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I felt it. <laughs> I felt it. I don't know how I felt it, but I mean, thinking of people tuning into our show right now and wondering, what was that? Yeah. That was an archival feedback audiograph of Greater Miami 
1934. Yeah, 1934. Wow. So who who would have thought? <laughs> <laughs> now let's talk about your most recent project and the one that you'll be introducing to the world this Saturday. So exciting. It's super exciting. They are creating a sound guide to parts of the Deering Estate, and it's a digital map that will guide you through an acoustic experience, an acoustic landscape of the Deering Estate's ecosystems. That's what Kim was talking about earlier. This is an ecosystem that was respected by the original owner and is a nature preserve, and there's so much that the artists are responding to in this Platform 450 project this year. And let's describe what you did to collect the sounds that you're sharing. Uh, we we spent a lot of time on the grounds of the Deering Estate, sort of um, just walking around and, and having these uh, acoustic experiences and, um, you know, setting up microphones, consulting with uh, Skip Snow. Shout out to Skip, mm -hmm. the driftologist in residence. Um, he was able to show us uh, some places where we might be able to get some incredible sounds, uh, and we did with his help. And, um, yeah, we, we attempted to capture um, as many of the ecosystems on the grounds as possible uh, through different means, using different types of microphones, uh, different arrays, different recording setups. And uh, then we plotted them, the, the, the ones we ended up going with, we plotted them on the visitor's map uh, that was provided to us, and we made it uh, interactive. So you can go online and click on the points and hear what was recorded at that place, what it was, uh, the tools we used to record it. You say go online, but what about the, the experience of it on the site? Is it through your smartphone? Yeah, that it's you would through your it? phone. And... Is there an app that they'll look for? Yeah, there's going to be signposts at each of the locations where we included a recording on the map, and people can uh, scan a QR code, and it'll take them directly to where the map is hosted online, and they can click on the points and hear uh, what we recorded there. And that's right. We included, I think, in one of our posts at least, the QR code that they'll oh, need for, for this weekend. <laughs> And I think this project will be up for three months. If you miss Earth Day, if you've got another Earth Day plan, you can go out there and still have this experience. And you can also go online to experience it. There are limitations to a lot of different potential listeners. So I was thinking about, I was thinking about my grandmother. She lives in Naples. She rarely comes over to Miami. She hates coming to Miami. It's too noisy, too traffic-filled. So I um, wanted her to experience the work in another way. And how would I communicate that to her, right? My other gig is I also give a lot of guided tours. And so the idea of someone being able to experience that um, and it, it, from the artistic perspective was really also what motivated us even titling this the sound guide, a sound guide, um, so that you know someone can revisit and follow our footsteps even if they can't physically be there. And your your app will include notes and charts the locations exactly for those people who are seeking them out. They'll be able to find them. Yeah, because all that information is already provided in the map. We just enhanced it with a little bit of our flair and um, instructions and um, our experiences. And so the idea is those exploring will feel like field explorers themselves as mm -hmm. they follow like a treasure map to discover the sounds mm -hmm. that... 
they might not have noticed. Mm -hmm. There is even an Easter egg. There's a surprise sound on the map Ooh. that you have to look for. Yeah. And I didn't read about that one. <laughs> you can also um, you can also play all the sounds simultaneously, like and launch them at different times. So you can sort of create your own, not necessarily abstract, but you know, an acoustic environment based on all the sounds at once, or two of the sounds at once, three of the sounds at once. Just hear them all sort of going at the same time, and you know, theorize you know them happening at the same time in the space. Well, let's listen to the first one, which is grasses. Mm -hmm. Must have been really windy that day. It was a powerfully windy day, but one that we actually really appreciated, not just at the moment, but in retrospect, because of the sound quality that it created around the park that day. It was amazing. Uh, the next one we're going to hear is something I actually don't know if I've ever heard the sound <laughs> of a manatee, so I'm excited about this one. So that's the star that was of the a, sound guy. And that was that was also a very happy accident um, that we had with Skip Snow. We kind of had a, a day where we weren't getting too much and sort of on the way out. And then all of a sudden, four manatees just popped up and I threw all the microphones in the water. Um, well, the hydrophones. Um, and uh, we got manatees. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah. I've never heard a manatee talking. I didn't know if it was a manatee trying to turn something on, the clicking sound, <laughs> or knitting. Yeah, you get, you get a lot of these pops and clicks when you use the hydrophones just because of the, the pressure under the water and all the bubbles and everything moving around. But and, yeah. And to be clear, that was a 
baby manatee yep. that was squeaking. It sounded the, like a baby. The adult um, is more of a grunt. Uh-huh. So um, that was a baby probably like, you know, being really cute with its mom. In the, that was amazing happy accident. Yes. And we were talking about the hydrophones picking up like motorboats from five miles away uh-huh. and notes from the other coast and uh, that's nearby. So capturing that is a big coup. It, it really was a gift. I think it'd be great to hear, uh, to finish up with the boat basin, just to hear another water sound. Emily and Tom, thank you so much for sharing the sounds of your sound guide. I feel like we've had a great privilege here to give a sneak preview of a really unique experience that the visitors will have at during estate for the next few months. Or online. Or online. (laughs) That's right. You can experience this virtually or in person at the Deering Estate. I just want to thank all of you for joining me today, Kim and Tom and Emily, and for the conversation I was able to have with Nellie and Oscar before they were traveling. I'm Kathy Bird, and this is the Fresh Art International Show on Jolt Radio in Miami, Florida. Our show about contemporary art at the intersection of nature and culture and technology featured the voices of New York-based Mary Mattingly and these five culture makers from Miami involved in the upcoming exhibition and events known as Spring Contemporary, titled Platform 450 this year, to celebrate Earth Day at the Deering Estate in South Miami. If you like what you're hearing, please let us know on social media. You'll find us at Fresh Art INTL and Jolt Radio. If you find this show informative and inspiring, please consider supporting the work of Fresh Art International. Our podcast and this show feature conversations about creativity with today's most inventive culture makers, as you heard today. And we want you to know that you'll be having some new experiences on the show coming up as we're headed out on a giant field trip next month called Destination Fresh Art, six weeks, five countries, nine cities, and 595 art encounters. Visit freshartinternational.com and click on the red support button to participate. You can become a supporting member or give a single donation or subscribe and just follow what we do. Thank you for listening. Meet us here every Wednesday for more contemporary art talk.